Welcome to another episode of It Simply Isn't Done. I'm Barry Petrucci. I'm Just Davenport. Together, we, we are, are the Irreverent Reverends. From Portage Chapel Hill United Methodist Church, we are at the corner of Oakland and Romance in Portage, Michigan, but you don't even need to know that because we're everywhere on the internet. We are this week's sermon recap is in the midst of our Growing in Prayer series. Now I lay me down to sleep growing in prayer. A dash healing. <laughs> healing. <laughs> and um, Barry preached this week and took us through a, a passage in Jeremiah and then some puzzling words from Jesus about eggs and scorpions. Yeah, in Luke. And I, and I know I disappointed you by not going deeply into the eggs and scorpions. Well, there's a, there's always another time. There is. So if you have no clue about what we're talking about, you might want to listen to the, <laughs> the scripture and the message. And, and if you're not interested, just skip those. <laughs> and we will see you uh, for some reflection. Scripture today comes from Jeremiah 17, 14 through 15. And... Luke 11, 9 through 13. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. See how they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for a fish, would give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asked for an egg, would give a scorpion? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Christ is risen. It is still true. God, it is still true. And I ask your presence here as I dare to speak a word into what you have gifted to us as the words. May this be a gift to your people. In Christ's name, amen. Yahweh Rapha, Adonai Rapha, Elohim Rapha, Hebrew, for God who heals, God the healer. The Lord who heals, Lord healer. Keep those in the back of your head. And you don't have to use the Hebrew. <laughs> on this day, we honor those who play maternal roles in our lives. And on this day, we celebrate new members. It's great. And on this day, we come to part five of our series, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, Growing in Prayer. We started looking at Paul's encouragement to pray without ceasing and what that, in fact, might mean for us in 2023. Uh, then we went to consideration of who exactly is this God to whom we are praying? 
and in week three, Jess taught us all about being in prayer together as worshiping community, corporate prayer, the word we say. Last week, we encouraged, I encouraged us to begin our prayer time with a heart of awe as we come before God. Today, it's all about that place so many of us live in our prayer lives, cautiously or boldly asking God to heal, to heal, to heal me, to heal us, to heal our kids, to heal our parents, to heal, oh God, our neighbors, heal, oh God, our minds, heal our memories, heal our nation, oh God, heal our world, heal our apparently very fragile universe. Healing is where we spend so much time thinking about God's activity in us and in our world. Healing. The prophet Jeremiah, as many prophets, spends a good deal of, deal of time in lament. Lament is the deep expression of sorrow, pain. It can even be an expression of confusion. Lament is central to the people of faith in our Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, as the way they come before God in prayer. It starts with lament. Sorrow, deep and authentic. It's a, a little foreign to us because contemporary Christian faith communities have intentionally or unintentionally convinced us that God wants us to only come in joy. We're supposed to come in joy, joy if for no other reason than that we are beloved children of God and so we should be happy about everything. But we need to be honest. Check your cable. <laughs> I don't have a cable. What does that have to do with my clicker? Excuse me. Here. Okay, clicker still isn't working. Okay. So we're talking about feeling like we need to come before God in prayer and joy. So if I'm asking you to lament, what do we have to lament about? If we're honest with ourselves, we spend an awful lot of time, of decidedly private time, wringing our hands in grief about the losses in our lives. And when we do that, that is lament. And so Jeremiah in chapter 15 is lamenting because he longs to be healed, but he's not healed. The lament is about the lack of healing on the one hand and about God not coming through for his prophet on the other hand. Come on, God, heal your prophet. I'm here for you, God. Can you be here for me? Heal not only me, but heal your nation, oh God. Two chapters later, we get one of our texts for the morning. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. Heal me, save me, and I will be genu genuinely healed and saved. So... See how they say to me, this is the continuing scripture, see how they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. 
The prophet moves from crippling lament to conversing with God, and the prophet talks with God about, first, his confidence that God will fully heal, and second, that this will convince the doubters, the hearers, all the prophet's adversaries even, that God is God and God will come through indeed. Healing prayer. Jess and I know pastors are invited into the most personal of places when crisis of body, mind, spirit scare the bejesus out of the owners of the same. Prayer is what we do. We bring intercession, praying in any kind of gap that might be perceived by the sufferer between themselves and God. It's a place we pastors kind of feel comfortable in. Kind of mostly. Sometimes. But because we are mere people, pastors or not, we get Jeremiah, right? We pray our fears about what might be going on within us. We pray the diagnoses and we pray the medical management of the same. Even as we go all in in confidence that the doctors and the techs got this, still we pray, heal me, oh God, heal me. The story is told of a college student who has an He's, he's been suffering with a uh, bad back for a long time. He's just been ailing, periodic, excruciating spasms. He's done the doctor thing. So he goes to a Christian tent revival in Kentucky, and the healer evangelist lays hands on him and proclaims him to be healed of his malady. He returned to his dorm and walked into his room where his roommate asked him how everything went. He said, well, my brother, I gave in to the healing powers of the evangelist, garnering all the power of the Holy Spirit, and I am here to tell you, brother, I am healed. The roommate jumps up, throws his arms around his friend, and hugs him tight, and a scream shoots out of that friend, and tears fill his eyes in pain. The roommate says, what? I thought you said you were healed. I am healed. It's only the symptoms that remain. <laughs> Sometimes we talk ourselves into knowing that prayer does what we want it to do, or at least something similar. Or maybe our prayer has just not been um, good enough. In our other text, this one from the second half of Luke 11, Jesus seems to be telling followers that healing, or anything for that matter, is as easy as a simple ask. Or have we understood this text to be a simple kind of formula. Certainly, it has been used by segments of Christ's church to mean that God wishes to fulfill your every desire. And if your every desire is not fulfilled, then there must be something wrong with the way you are asking, or there might be a flaw in your character, or the big one, you are not faithful enough. Let's look at the text, and let's look at its context. The chapter opens with Jesus praying, and the disciples asking that Jesus teach them to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus teaches them what has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, Jess is going to talk about that prayer next week. So for now, just understand that our text flows from that context. After teaching the prayer, Jesus says to the disciples, imagine then you go to a friend's house at midnight because you need to borrow three loaves of bread because, because you need to provide hospitality for a friend who's come to be with you. It's called sojourners. And imagine that the friend you have woken at midnight says, get lost, the whole house is asleep and I can't get up to get you anything. 
Still, Jesus says, even if that neighbor will not get up because of the friendship, the neighbor will get up because of your shameless audacity, your persistence, your brashness, and will get you whatever, whatever you need. If you're irritating enough, you'll get what you need. <laughs> then Jesus gives the soul that precedes our text. It is a call for us to be brash, persistent, even audacious in our prayer. Jesus gives the form of how to pray, then suggests that the how is less critical than that we'd be bold with God who, who presents God's self as a friend to whom we can go in the middle of the night with our needs. Even if our daily bread has run out because we now need to provide hospitality unexpectedly for another. So Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be no opened. Ask, search, knock. You know, when you're reading the Bible, the Gospels particularly, this is a free tip for you this morning. Look for the imperatives in the text. The imperatives are a really good place to start in understanding what exactly the characters, in this case Jesus, are getting at. Ask, search, knock. Really important words. Theologian Walter Wink in Sojourners magazine says, Jesus' teaching on prayer is impertinent, it is rude, it's a theological embarrassment. He understands nothing of Christian etiquette. <laughs> prayer, as he describes it, is an effrontery. He commands us to command God. We are to hammer on the door until God, out of pure irritation, answers our need. Like the widow haranguing the judge in Luke 18, 1 to 8, we are to persist in prayer like a dog worrying over a bone. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Ooh. It appears that is quite so here. Ask, search, knock, imperatives. Jesus stands in a great Jewish tradition born out of the Hebrew scriptures. Like a, a shopkeeper arguing over the price of a goat, Abraham bargains with God for the number of the righteous that will appease God. It starts out at 10 and Abraham gets it whittled down to one. If I just found one righteous person, God, is that good enough for you? And God says, fine. Moses pushes God's comfort zones until God turns, repents, going so far as to tell God to chill out and calm the divine anger. This kind of prayer shapes the relationship, you see, between the children of God and God the parent. We are not simply throwing our needs out, because a most, out toward a mostly passive recipient. This is a partner who loves us and who we love. And so it's absolutely a great place to start being bold in our asking. This God encourages us to be relentless in our prayers, unsure of how, when, or where the answers will come, but based on the relationship, certain that they are not going unheard. Throw them out there, trusting that the one who loves you loves you enough to listen. What that means is that we stay attentive in our wait, asking, searching, knocking, doing these things, not so much because God needs to be annoyed by us in order to respond, but more so that we do not become complacent or overly polite in our spiritual lives. The imperatives of prayer call us to be bold in our lament and bold in our petitions, to be so familiar to and with God that we can unload it all, our deepest places of loss, grief, sorrow, anger. God gets it all. And our laundry list of needs for healing, for saving, 
healing our own skin, the fragile lives of our family, the scattered dysfunction of our communities, the plottingly slow, self-destructive forces of government, the, the defensive willingness to wound displayed by global community. God, it is enough. Stop it now, we pray. Get out of your ethereal bed, O oh God, and pay attention to me, to us. Pay attention to your creation, because it's not going well. Dare to tell God. I was in Target a few weeks ago, maybe a month. It could be a year, really. Uh, I was looking for something that was a, a, an aisle or so away from the toy aisle. I heard the sweetest little voice say, Mom, Mom, look at this. Mom was kind of passive and trying to move anywhere but the toy aisle. Um, that's nice, honey. I know, Mom, I know I have others, but look, this one I don't have, and this one is different. Look, uh-huh, it's nice, but we have to go, so you'd better put it back. Mom, Mom, can I just get this today? I promise I, not today, sweetheart, keep it on your list for Christmas, and you know where it goes from there, do you not? Subtleties end. The child goes to tear, and that kind of crying that sounds like running and loss of breath, and the imperative is, you've got to, I have to, and I see you said I could, and I'm not leaving until, and mom is mortified. It could be dad, it could be a grandparent, you know the scene. The moments that parents and grandparents cringe and are sure that whatever response adults can give is still likely to bring judging eyes from other shoppers and particularly from those target partners in the red vests. <laughs> if we want a model for the unabashed prayer Jesus and Jeremiah are calling us into, we could do worse than pay attention to the kid in the shopping cart. We could do worse than that kid in the toy section in Target. Focused on what is desired, claiming the relationship, being clear, not hesitating to vocalize, and being clear that while patience may need to come right now is not the time for it. Now is the time to sit face-to-face -face with the divine and open the communication and lament in honest asking, in seeking. So this week, try getting in touch with places of lament within you where there's loss, where you are grieving what has been lost, what has changed in the process. Confess. Confess that lament, that loss, and get real in your language with God as you ask for what will heal that lament as you seek, as you search for ways to live with the pain or ways to heal. Oh, and finally this week, take a risk and knock vehemently, even in the middle of the night on the door of a slumbering God to demand attention. And if it could help you a little bit even to revert to your childhood, I encourage you to go to Target, get yourself in a basket, and wail. <laughs> amen and amen. Yes, so you had quite, uh, quite a topic, healing. Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. Well, and, and we, when we designed the service, we were particular about intercessory prayer. And I made a choice not to go heavily into the sense of intercession as something that, that is exclusively about our praying in the gap between God and others for others. Because hmm. uh, that, that feels like um, a priestly function that 
was not terribly relevant to, to go into the history and explanation for folks. What, what I was really more interested in is that uh, helping people understand what we're, what we're about, what we're claiming when we are praying for ourselves or for others. Yeah. So what would what was the thing you wanted folks to take away then if you were to distill it? I, I wanted people to uh, understand that that we, we are all in places where um, we're troubled. Um, we, mm. we are in places of lament. And I that's why I use the Jeremiah piece at the beginning. And um, we all have moments when we deeply uh, are troubled in, in our care for ourselves and others when we're dealing with physical, um, emotional, spiritual health issues. Um, and that prayer, invite people to pray, and it's not a formulaic kind of thing. They can mm-hmm. pray the way they, way, they, way, way they need to pray. And sometimes that prayer uh, can be loud and eyes wide open and uh, whiny. Uh, and, and like Jeremiah, uh, and, and like <laughs> Jeremiah, and like the kid in the in the basket at Target, you yes. know, which was my kind of closing uh, encouragement for people to to become like children involves involves that um, freedom to to go to what what we what we want. Sometimes we think that talking to God is is not about saying what we want; it's about mm-hmm. being pious and mm-hmm. and coy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't think that's not. I don't think that's right. Yeah. You know what I what I took from it was your focus on um, the imperatives in Luke, and it took me a minute because it I had to like think. You know that word has multiple meanings, so I it took me a while to realize like oh we're talking about grammar. We my, were talking my about brain, grammar. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, my brain is not often in the grammar space, as anyone who has read my writing will know. Um, and then I was like oh yeah imperatives, which are commands. You know that's really what it functions yeah. grammatically. And it made me think about how, for some of us, based on our station in society or how we were raised, using imperatives are frowned upon. Um, you know, like the yeah. commanding one another, particularly Midwesterners. Um, we are we pretend to value politeness to a high degree, <laughs> at least publicly, right? So. Thinking about um, shifting the focus in prayer from what what will God do for me to how can like how can I express what I need and and not have expectations necessarily or to have expectations sure. um, you know but but have the focus be on the part that we we know more about because we don't we don't know how prayer works there's not some sort of like way you know in which we understand it or metaphysically or what all that look we don't know. What we know is that we're asked to do it, um, and I appreciated the permission to be to be bold in that asking and to have commands associated with that ask. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, a tricky thing because to understand prayer is fundamentally to understand God, and we can't. <laughs> um, so all we can do is, in a childlike way, understand more fully who we are. Mm-hmm. And what we need and what we're asking, um, and and that 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 ought to be bold. Mm-hmm. It ought to be bold, particularly when we're asking on being. You know, if you want to be Midwestern, oh no, I don't want to ask for myself. No, no, but we can oh. be bold in asking for somebody else. So, so uh, Sunday we did a bold ask of the congregation around a family that that really needs um, a, a dog as a medical device, and mm-hmm. the congregation responded to that boldness. Yeah. You know, um, and we threw it out there just as pastors who thought it was an important thing to do. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that when we approach God in the same way, um, we're being clear. Mm-hmm. And it's not, that, it's not that God didn't have clarity. It's that we need to, to know that we're, we're giving over to God all the stuff that we're holding gently, mm-hmm. uh, but don't feel like it, it's gentle. Yeah. And I think, too, what, what your message presupposes is also something that I am passionate about, which is you have to know what you need in order to name it. And I think we also live in a culture that um, dissuades us from always being able to articulate what we need. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, whether whether with individuals in community, um, and you know we're like, oh well, I, this is what I you know this is what I really need, but I'm I'm, I'm not going to say it. That's cool. <laughs> you know? And so I think um, the presupposition is having to do the work to know yourself, like you said, in order in order to know what you need to ask God or anyone else for that matter. Yeah, it's a place where cultural and economic um, um, independence are so highly valued that sometimes mm-hmm. we think that, that to, to speak a word of need out loud is to in some way be dependent in a way that's not yeah. appreciated in our culture or our, our economy for that matter. Yeah, no one, no one thinks it's good to be needy. You know, we have that word, like, this oh, person's yeah. needy. And it's, it's like, needy. this is, this kind of prayer requires you to be needy in yeah. some capacity. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, we, we would rather be needed than needy, and that's not how it works. <laughs> well, and church, church is, um, I remember uh, Larry Norman in the 70s, a singer talking about church being middle class. Mm. And, and it is desperately middle class in that we still, we still kind of hold those you know, uh, boxes for the needy or the boxes for mm-hmm. the poor. And mm-hmm. uh, what, are you, what are you doing for the needy? How are you responding to the needy when they come to the door? And the needy, um, it's just such a, a, a phrase that disconnects people from, uh, from each other. Yes. So, so it puts us in a position of going, oh, well, if you're needy, then I'm the answer to your neediness. I'm the needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the needed. And it's just, it's not a healthy kind of relationship. It's certainly not anything that Jesus intended for the church. Yeah. And I think the way that you phrase that too, the, it's like the needy come to the door as if they are not among us. Yeah. And what does that say about who we yeah. are if we're not ministering? Um, yeah. Or creating an environment where folks can express this, those moments they have needs. And we get to see that a little bit more um, as pastors because occasionally folks will come to us, particularly with material needs, certainly spiritual needs. And, and we'll kind of share that, but it's, you know, we hold that obviously in confidence, um, but I still don't think folks do it as much as there is need Absolutely. or as much as there are resources here available. And, and people um, not infrequently um, come to us with material needs which are significant, but feel like they have to couch that first in a spiritual need yeah. and kind of then slip into the material need. Mm-hmm. And, and both of those may be true, but they can be held simultaneously. It's like the reality yeah. is that all of us have spiritual needs and all of us have material needs from one time or another at one time or another, but we, we desperately work hard not to show that. Yeah. So I think this, um, this posture of prayer of being able to identify your needs and boldly ask for them is not only, um, you know, good prayer practice before God. And perhaps it feels for some, it might feel safer to do that to God as opposed to others, but maybe not, maybe it might be reversed in some way. Um, it's a good place to start for many of us that have a hard time even thinking about, well, what, what do I need? What might I need? 
it's where the Lord's Prayer becomes instrumental, and that's mm-hmm. what you're doing this week. And, mm-hmm. and, and a piece of what I did on Sunday was actually a follow in the, in the Luke version of mm-hmm. the Lord's Prayer. Follows on that. Uh, Jesus teaches the prayer and then goes into this story about the... Uh, about uh, you go to, you going to a neighbor because you need extra bread for somebody who's who's come under your care, and uh, Jesus essentially says that the, the your neighbor isn't want to is not going to want to come to the door um, um, for any other reason than that what to shut you up to shut you up <laughs> yeah yeah to get you away from the door yeah <laughs> um, yeah and so that's such an interesting. Such an interesting follow-up to this uh, piece of Jesus responding and how to pr- how to pray, and that the formula of the prayer is then followed with be be continuously bold in your mm-hmm. in your asking, your seeking, and your knocking. Yeah, the imperatives. Be, be, be obnoxious <laughs> to God. Well, yeah, God God can handle it. God can um, handle it. I want to know, did you learn anything more about the um, snake, fish, scorpion, egg scenario? Yeah, I really didn't go down that, that, I know. <laughs> that rabbit hole. I know you wanted me to. Were, well, no, no. Far more, uh, you know, I, I thought it was, um, I, I really think that it's a, I think that they were a not unusual illustrations, as weird as they seem to us. Okay, that's good. They were not unusual illustrations, and... Um, Simply a way to say that a parent wants to give their kids good things. Yeah. I think today, I, um, just so you all know, listening, every time I've heard this, I don't envision fish or eggs being cooked. So I'm just like, what on, who, what is this kid doing? Why, why is one better than the other? <laughs> like, okay, here's a raw egg, kids. You know, kind of like that golden retriever trick where you give them a raw egg and see if they crush it. I don't know. That's just what comes to my brain. And then when everyone around the table is like, no, Jess, I think they're cooked. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes more sense, I guess. I think it's a meal. <laughs> My kids do often ask me for food more than they do uh, live animals that are slippery or, you know, or poisonous. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I know why that was not relevant to anyone else but me. And I can take that upon myself to do some personal research. Series on really, really weird uh, biblical illusions. Well, apparently just for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Is there anything else you wanted folks to know? I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, we—I've been doing this uh, this adult teaching series at the, in the ten o'clock hour, and uh, people were very much wanting to talk about uh, what it was, what it felt like to be bold before God, and mm. that they were grateful for that permission. But it does not come. It does not come as second na- nature. We are Mm-mm. not. We are not often given permission to be obnoxious before God, and uh, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Because as kids, we don't have to be given permission to be obnoxious before our parents. It, it, it's part of our, part of who we are. And so somehow, uh, as we grow into adulthood and learn to be polite with everybody else and have certain kinds of etiquette, uh, we think that that follows with God as well. And this is an encouragement to be who we are before God. Yeah. I think, too, um, it causes us to consider how we would how we would talk about our relationship with God because Jesus so often refers to God as Abba, you know, Papa, Daddy. So he really tries to personify it in a way um, that most of us would understand. 
And I'm not sure, you know, I, I think some of us might say we have that relationship with God, but I think we really have to clarify what that relationship looks like because we do feel comfortable when we're kids doing that with our parents um, to the extent that we, I don't know that we question it until we're a bit older. So what does that relationship with God look like that allows you the freedom to do that? Um, and know that, you know, at least for Jesus, uh, that was kind of clear and there was a good model for what that could be. Yep. Hmm. Lots to think about. Indeed. Well, next week, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Lord's Prayer. We have confirmation and affirmation of some of our um, young ones, young people. And, middle uh, schoolish. Middle schoolish. Middle school and some ninth graders. Yeah. So we will see you on the podcast. I mean, you know what I'm saying. We'll see you then. <laughs> we, we will indeed. Or, or we won't. One, one of the two. But we trust God blessing on you one way or the other. Oh, we do.